0: So, in June of 2000, uh, the Millennium Bridge opened. I don't know where John Eastland's sitting down here, maybe he's walked across it before, some of you have been to London. Uh, but this bridge was built, it was allowed to, pre- to allow pedestrians to cross uh, from the north side of the city to the south, across the Thames River. I think that's how you say it. I've heard it said so many different ways, uh, but it was, it was to ease some congestion there and it was the first, first bridge that had been built in this area to cross this river. And, like a century, quite a long time. And so the engineers really boasted in this. like Their ingenuity and, and human design has come so far. You know, the materials we were able to use and, and the way that we were able to construct this new bridge is just something beyond anything human, humanity's done. And so, so they bragged about it a little bit. Then on June 10th, 2000, the bridge opened. And so the team of engineers, they sat back with high expectations. You know, everything's gonna go well. It's going to, going to go good. And so there was a lot of traffic across the bridge that first day, a lot more than what you see in this picture, as people crowded across it uh, to go back and forth. And so if you want to start the, start the video, Dustin, so you'll see they, they had it well planned out. They expected everything to go according to plan. And so this is the crowd of the people. You can see it's, there's quite a few. But you'll see that the bridge is wobbling back and forth, and that wasn't a part of the plan. That wasn't what the engineers had planned on. And as you watch the video, you'll notice, if you watch the people's heads, they'll, they'll kind of start walking back and forth in step with each other as the video goes on. And because of this, so what happened is, the people start walking on the bridge and the vibrations of their feet, you know, cause the bridge to shake a little bit. Well, out of all these people, there's probably a few, quite a few, number, a number of them that are stepping about at the same time. And so that kind of created a little, little wobble in the bridge. And this wobble on the bridge had this cyclical effect on these people. And that you can see them now, they're just walking like like little army men, I guess, across the <laughs> across the bridge. You know, it reminds me of Toy Story or something. <laughs> they're marching across the bridge. And so this, this effect it had this cyclical effect where it just built upon itself. And in the end, these people they can't they have to walk like you know, look like I'm crazy up here, but they had to walk like this. They had no other option because the bridge is is wobbling back and forth. And so the, the team of engineers, they weren't concerned about the people's lives. They knew the bridge would hold and that it would stand. Uh, but that, that wasn't what they planned to happen. Their, their plans, they'd worked for a couple of years on this thing, so their plan was that it would open up, the bridge would just be perfectly stable, and people would be able to just go on across. cross. Uh, but that's not what happened. And so after two days of being open, the engineers closed their, I, got, I think it got the nickname of the Wobbly Bridge, and... and began to think on how they were going to redesign it. So now, nowadays, the bridge is, is stable. I don't, I don't know. John, have you ever walked across the Millennium Bridge? Or no, no? You might have walked over it. You just didn't know it, I guess. <laughs> but but uh, now, now it's stable. You can, you can cross this bridge uh, without having to walk in any kind of odd way. Uh, but, but what's interesting in this is that, you know, what, what began as the engineers boast, what they were very proud of, and, and prideful of their ingenuity. It ended in shame. And so this is gonna be something that we're gonna talk about quite a bit uh, this morning. And so we're gonna talk about that with ourselves, right? And so we don't, we don't think of ourselves as engineers often. Um, I don't. Uh, the, mo- the closest I've got to building bridges is probably like Legos and Tinker Toys. Does anybody remember Tinker Toys? I don't even know if they make those anymore. But they do? Okay, cool. I loved Tinker Toys when I was really little. I haven't seen one in a long time. Uh, but but I've built some things of consequence in my life that maybe they're not bridges with tinker toys. Uh, like, to give you a few examples, there was, I had a group of friends in college, and uh, one, one side of the group I was a little more alike, you know, and the other side of the group I wasn't. And sometimes I looked at that other, those other friends and I thought, well, they're not, they don't really have it all together, and sometimes they're a little sinful, and you know, I'm not really like them. And so what, what did I do about that? Well, I went to my friends over here that I was more alike, and I kind of gossiped and started talking bad about those other friends. And so I engineered this division in our group, and all, all it did was, was split the group, right? All, all it did was it put me on the side with the people I'm like, and it put them on the other side with the people they're like, and there was, there was hurt and frustration in our group. And that, that's all it accomplished. And I thought it was a good idea because I was saying what was right, you know? But, but nothing truly good came of it. Or where we can get petty about it, you know, there's, there's this one time I was talking to this girl in high school who I was interested in, and she was interested in one of my best friends. And so if my best friend ever came up in conversation, you know, I, I didn't say anything mean about him, but sometimes I might paint him in a little more of a negative light because that served my purposes, you know. And, the, those, and I still do it today in lots of different ways, in, in ways that I don't even realize or, or I'm even aware of. And so that's, that's one of the things we're going to talk about this morning. But there's times that I'll, I've told Carrie, we were talking about this last night, that I'll jokingly you know, put, her, put her in a negative light in some kind of way. Maybe I'm speaking honestly about something we've talked about honestly. And honesty is a good thing. You know, we, we need to talk about our flaws and who we are and be introspective in those kinds of ways. I think that's healthy for all of us then if I'm really honest about it, I know there's this part of my heart that's, that's engineered some kind of relativity into our relationship so that you know I get to look a little bit better or feel a little bit better about myself. Okay, so I'm going to stop talking about myself now because confessing and talking about these things in front of 500 people by yourself isn't, isn't as much fun as you might think it is. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, I th- but I think that Paul, he, he shows us the same ingenuity of mankind and, and where mankind is taking the world in the book of Romans. And so I want to read reread the passage that we read earlier in Romans 1, 21. It says, For although they, I'm talking, talking about humanity, and maybe, maybe digging in a little more to the Gentiles here, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him God or, or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. It's a pretty strong word. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. And birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so something I want to start pointing out to you here that you can kind of see as you, as you read through the book of Romans is that Paul, he weaves the story of humanity and, and our choices and our actions and what we do. He weaves them together with a bit of narrative about sin. It's very interesting. And, and it kind of gets a little bit of a start here. He starts talking about you know, this creature. They worship and serve the creature. And so you kind of start wondering, what does he mean? Why would he use that language? Why Why is he talking about this creature? And it's kind of interesting where where Paul seems to take this because you get to Romans chapter 5 through 8 and this creature appears. And it gets a bit of a a name that we would probably consider inadequate in a lot of ways because the name of that creature is sin. So sin gets a personification in Romans that I find very intriguing because sin does some strange things in in Romans 5 through 8. And um, to quote Matthew Crosman, he, he exercises dominion, he sees opportunities to produ- produce covetousness and to kill it, he, she, it, it revives and acts in place of the human agent in whom it dwells. And so that this noun, sin, hamartia, it, it, it is used and deployed in these personal terms. And so in some, some way, humanity has given personality to sin, but right? they've, they've constructed it in a way that it now reigns over them. So, to go back to our example of the bridge to kind of help make this sense, you know, the, the idea, one way to look at this, the idea is that, you know, our individual steps and our, our choices, our actions, the ideas that we have, the things that we do, they, they create these little vibrations, right, that, that echo out. And they create the they make the bridge wobble, and then we, we kind of fall into step with it. Right? And this is a way that we don't think about sim very often because we think of sin as a right and wrong. You know, I just, I just need to do the right thing, or I just do the wrong thing, you know, and, and, and it's black and white. But, it, but to think of sin in this way, it's almost like we create a monster. that thing comes back and rules over us, and so we'll, we'll keep digging into that idea as we go. And so what humanity does is we boast in our own wisdom in this passage, that idolatry. We boast in our own wisdom, and rather than trusting the wisdom of God, as if it's something to brag about, and then we become enslaved to it. Okay, so as Paul begins uh, this, this letter to the Romans, we can't, we can't forget about, you know, the bigger picture of the Greeks and the Jews, the weak and the strong. Uh, and so it would be interesting to hear what both sides are thinking when they're, when, they're being, when they're hearing this passage read to them, hearing this letter read to them at this point. And we'll probably never know, you know, exactly what they think for sure. Uh, but... But I think uh, we, can, we can make a good guess of our modern reconstruction, right, of what they're thinking. I think, I think for the Jews, you know, they, they might have been cheering Paul on, saying, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, we've done some wrong, too, and we've sinned. But, hey, you know, we've, we do our best to follow the commandments, and, and we live in covenant with God. Uh, you know, we've been faithful to this covenant, unlike those, you know, those other people, you know. And the Greeks, they might have been nodding along as well. Yes, yes, you know, we used to be like that. We used to not know God. We were outside the covenant family. We didn't live by the promise. Uh, but now we're different. And so, you know, Paul's talking to those other people out there, right? And so they're probably thinking about those other people who, you know, boast in, in what they've acquired with their wealth or the, the position of power that they found themselves in. They boast in that and, well, they don't need God. You know, those people those other people who, you know, they're, they're on their fifth relationship with the one that they found, and we kind of have doubts and ideas that probably not the last. You know, those, those other people are, are those people who, who, really, who really believe in their own knowledge and their own self-assurance. And they, you know, maybe they made the atomic bomb or they, they flew a plane into a tower. What are, you know, those other people who boast in these acts that they do that they call good, that are wise in their own eyes. And so I think Paul writes about those people you know, to this this Roman church who've decided that human better, judgment is better than God's judgment. And so Paul has kind of pointed a glaring finger at those other people because I think that's that's what I do when I read this passage. I go through and I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, I gossip sometimes, but there's some things on this list I, I don't do that. You know, I've, I've never I've never done some of these things. Those are those are pretty bad things. But then you come to chapter 2, right? And then Paul, he does this several times in Romans where he just changes, it seems like he just changes tone entirely. He says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, you practice the very same things. And so, you know, the Greeks and, Roman, or the Greek and, and Jews, they're, oh, is he talking... Is he talking to me now and so when he when he comes to chapter two paul immediately turns to speak directly to the roman church and especially as you keep reading he's going to dig into the the law abiding and covenant abiding jews over the next chapter um, but for the purposes of us here in the 21st century you know when i as i've been reading romans it has it has just been so good for me and so deep and i've learned and thought about things i've never thought about before from reading this letter and so I have to say that this letter is written to us today, right? It's not just... It can be easy for us to look and just get, it, get caught up in the circumcision arguments and the law and all these things and, and think, oh, yeah, he's talking to the Jews or he's, he's talking to the Greeks. But I think one of the first things that Paul does in his letter to the Romans is he invites them to look inward and he invites us to look inward into our own hearts. And so this letter, it isn't written just for the eyes and the ears of, of the people 2,000 years ago. It's, it's written to us today. Paul's talking to us, and as Gary talked about last week, this is where Paul, just right from the start, he's leveling the playing field for where he's gonna go later on, the, later on in the letter. And so one of the things that you know, has really stuck out to me is when we're thinking about the theme of transformation or being the uncommon people of God. Uh, where is God taking us, and where's Paul gonna take us in this letter? That humility, humility is core. Uh, And and it's it's the foundation for the root of transformation, recognizing our need for a Savior and something else. And so in trying to pastor this church in Rome and and care for the needs of the church, he he first starts out by riling them up to the evils of this world and the other things that are going on out there, and then then he brings it inside. Because I think that what God sees is that he realizes, what Paul, Paul realizes is that God sees evil lurking in the places of our heart where, where we would consider it good. In places where we, we think that we've got a good idea or we know the way, God sees differently. It's just human wisdom. And so what began as a boast, you know, we, we aren't like them, those other people, ended up being their own shame. And, 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 the, we, and the way that Paul, Paul speaks to them points to that, that shame. And so he says in verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew, you rely on the law. If you boast in God, if you know his will and you approve of what is excellent because you are instructed from the law and if you are sure that you yourself, you're a guide to the blind, a light to those in the darkness, an instructor of the foolish and a teacher of children, having the law of the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, you teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? I, just, I like to pause on things like this because I'm immediately thinking, how does Jesus redefine adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so where Paul leads us along this line of thought is, is a pretty sad place. And it's part of a larger problem that Paul will, will address later on, and we talked about it last week, and it, it, it's part of this idea, you know, is God keeping his promise, and, and is God faithful? And so Gary addressed that last week, but I think Paul points us to one of the most shameful aspects of our boasting, because what happens is when we, when we boast in our, our own idea of good, and we say, we've got it figured out, Right? But then we don't actually have it figured out and we don't actually live it out, then God's name is blasphemed. So we hear this all the time in our, our communities and in our cultures when we're talking to people outside of the church. We, well, I, why would I want to be a Christian? They say, because, I mean, they're not really any different than anybody else, are they? And so a lot of times I, th- I think that we have this tendency to. To um, excuse anyway, me, sorry. And so yeah, so a lot of things I have, we have this tendency to trust in our own nature, and to to be prideful about who we are and wh- what we do. And then when we don't live up to it, then God takes the blame on the back side. And so and Gary talked about it this last week that that Paul is leveling the playing field here, and he's saying, he's saying all is guilty. That's the sermon title I got, guilty and more guilty, right? So this is gonna be a bit of a downer sermon for a lot of you. But that, that God, that, that Paul is declaring all of us guilty, and that we have the responsibility of taking cre- creation in a direction it wasn't supposed to go. And in this, we reflect this distorted image of God, and, and who he's supposed to be. And so, so why is this? I think it's because it's just like on the bridge, we, we've gotten so used to sin and, and what it is in our lives that we're, we're blind to it so often. We, we don't even see it when it's staring us in the face, and so we just keep, we just keep walking because the bridge, the bridge wobbles, and so we're, we're stuck in that. And so Gary mentioned you know, a few weeks ago that in Romans 12, Paul says not to live as a part of the pattern of this world any longer, and be, be renewed, and live in a different way. And so I loved when, I loved when he read that, uh, how that excerpt that he had written where he he did a mirror image of what the pattern of this world looks like. And then he wrote he wrote and read what the pattern of the world would look like. And So I think Paul doesn't give us a, a clear description like that. And so that's why Gary went and did that to, to make it make it easy to see and understand. But I think Paul, you know, gets at the root of that, that in these ch- in Romans one through seven, the root that humanity trusts trust in their own wisdom. They boast in their own ingenuity to build and design and, and come up with, with new ways to be, to be righteous, to add the law of God. And so they get trapped in their day-to-day life, and they can't escape it. And so really, this, this is a hard sermon in some ways because it leaves us in a place of hopelessness. Like, okay, then, then what am I supposed to take from this? What, what do I even do? And so, you know, Paul, with this thread of thought, with this, this humility, with this declaration of, us being guilty and God being righteous and, and splitting the side, he's, he's brought us to this place, and he quotes the, the prophets in the Psalms, he says that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. And together they have become worthless. And so Paul has taken us on this journey where our boasting, you know, the, the Jews boasted in the law and, and circumcision, and, and it, it became their shame, and, and he even shames them, I think, in the way he he speaks to them in the way He, he directs, directs His words to them. And so now we, we can talk about us as we get here to the end. And so all of us, you know, we've, we've played the role of engineer in God's creation by boasting about our ideas. And, and So we've got to take, you know, and remember to be humble within everything that we do. Because not everything that we do is right, even when we think it is. And so we'll use the church for an example so that we can kind of all, you know, gather around something. I, th- I think it's safe to talk about this at this point. But, but years ago, right, and still true today, it was very important that, that we dress our best when you come to church, right? Some of you probably think, I don't know what I'm talking about right now. I'm wearing blue jeans, you know. But, but for some of you, it's, it's been very important that when you come to church, you give your best in, in every aspect. And so I, I think that's a good idea. I like that idea. You know, and that's been around for a long time. When you brought your sacrifices to the temple, you, you brought your best. You gave, you gave the first 10% of what you received, you gave it back to God. You, you give God your best in everything that you do. And so someone a long time ago said, hey, this is a good idea. Let's Sunday's the Lord's Day. Let's come and let's dress, dress our best. And so I like this idea. But it can, it can grow and become more than that, than just... I'm going to do my best for God, because when everyone's doing it around you, the bridge starts to wobble, and you just kind of have to fall into step, right? You you have to look good when you come to church, whether you want to or not, whether that's the way you want to give your best to God. And so this is a good idea. Again, I'm I'm still with it, but, you know, in walks a visitor, in walks someone who, who doesn't know the way these Christians do things, and immediately they feel out of place. Immediately they trip up a little bit because they can't get in step with what everybody else is doing. And we we do our best, you know, to to pull them in and say, okay, let's, maybe we can get you nice clothes if we want to do that, or maybe we can can pull them in and and say, no, 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 you don't have to dress nice to be here. You know, we've said that a lot before, but but we continue to do it, and I'm not trying to change how everyone dresses, but just as an example here. Um, And so I think that we get comfortable thinking, okay, yeah, dressing dressing for God is a good thing, but we don't realize that it can have some negative effects on those around us. And so when the visitor walks in and they're not dressed, you know, what we would think is their best at least, and maybe they know, maybe somebody's talked to them and said, you don't have to. But then somebody across the way kind of gives them an eye and looks them up and down, and they just kind of notice the look on their face as they walk away, you know. Or maybe there's not really a look there. Maybe it's just, I can tell there's just some people who kind of approach me differently. Maybe I feel like because I'm not dressed the same, I'm not asked to be on the committee or asked to volunteer with that group of people who who look a little better than ours. So the idea of dressing nice for church, it starts out a really great thing and then it turns into this man-made thing with all sorts of flaws and, and, and issues and problems. And so because we build the bridge in that kind of way, it wobbles and we walk to it, but then it creates difficulty for other people. And these people are tripping up because right at this point now we've started mixing up the commandments of men with the commandments of God and people can't always tell or see the difference. And so the plan was to create this church that was vibrant and whole in every way, but then there was still something missing. And uh, this is a nuanced thing in Scripture I see over and over again that that our boasting, when we boast and we come together and build, uh, that God looks down and he goes, oh that wasn't that wasn't exactly what I intended for that to look like. And so it ends in our shame. And so, you know, we turn into the ones. We, we become the judges, the ones who point the finger at who's wearing the right thing or the wrong thing or doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Or in Romans, eating meat or eating vegetables in the way that ought to be done. And so sin, you know, it lurks in our hearts in every corner. And so to be wise, I think you have to be aware of this and to consider this and think on this often. And so, in, within this, this boasting that we do, where we boast in our own wisdom, our own idea of what's good, uh, we become shackled to this tyrant that Paul named sin, who reigns over our lives. We're shackled to these sin structures that, in, in a way, we've partnered to build and construct and become enslaved to. And so what began as a boast, what began as a good idea, can sometimes end in shame so this is why I believe that Paul laments the human condition uh, in Romans 1 through 3. He quotes Habakkuk, which is, which is also a lament, an Old Testament prophet. And he claims here that he's not ashamed of the gospel, that within all of this that he's writing to the Roman church about, about, how, about shaming them for their judgment on others and for their laws and their following the rules and regulations, He points points to something else, this hope that he has when he uses that word shame over and over in Romans in various places. And so in, in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so I think you you see Paul tying all these stories together as you go through Romans. And so he's tying the story of Israel together with the letter to the Romans. And he's tying it together to our story today, just like he is to to the Jews and the Greeks. That all of us have failed and fallen short. All of us have evil lurking in our hearts in different places. And all of us are a bit hopeless, whether we want to admit it or not. And we've become so used to sin and, and walking in the way of sin that in, in ways we just don't even recognize it right in front of us. And so in so many ways, we, we've got to stop trying to, trying to rely on ourselves and our own wisdom and, and humbly know that sometimes, even when we think we've got it all figured out, or even when we think we're, we're giving it our absolute best in a direction, and I'm talking to myself this morning in so many different ways, that we... We don't have it figured out. Because I think one of the first things that Paul wants us to realize and and God wants us to realize when we're on that journey of transformation, he wants us to see that I am shameful. I know I'm shameful. But I'll leave the good news for Gary next week. I'm I'm not ashamed in my hope in God.